Welcome to Bench Talk, the week in science. My name is Dave Robinson. And I'm Ashley Best. You're listening to WFMP Louisville, 106.5 FM. This show's about bringing science to the people. We'll be bringing you weekly updates on new research that is important to all of us and celebrating evidence-based policy. We've scoured the library stacks for interesting articles, climbed the hill to stay informed on science policy, and performed some experiments of our own. We're here as a conduit of all things science, so let's get started. Hey, let me ask you this. Do you recycle? Do you ever wonder what happens to all that stuff you put in the recycling bin every week? Sure, our recycling seems to get picked up, but what actually happens to it after that? Do you know that the recycling industry here in the United States has recently had to make some major changes in its business model? Well, if you want to know more about the status of recycling in the U.S. as it is now, you better listen to this episode. Not only that, but is recycling enough? Are there other approaches to saving natural resources that perhaps we've been ignoring? Well, this week's episode of Bench Talk addresses these issues and it challenges you with other questions that perhaps you haven't pondered lately. I know that was true for me when I first heard it. Our guest on this episode is Dr. Kate Belinsky. Kate Belinsky is an associate professor of geosciences in the School of Environmental Studies at Bellarmine University in Louisville, Kentucky. She received her B.S. in geoscience from Pennsylvania State University in 2002, and her Ph.D. in geology from the University of Cincinnati in 2008. In addition to teaching classes for undergraduate students each semester, she pursues paleontology research, often involving her students. Kate's current research efforts are at the Falls of Ohio across the river over in Clarksville, Indiana. She's been studying the paleoecological relationships of those Devonian coral fossil beds over there. I just attended a talk she gave about her results from that study and found them really interesting. Actually, Dr. Belinsky regularly conducts public outreach, particularly through paleontology education workshops for K-12 teachers and through Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light. Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light is an interfaith nonprofit group that works with faith communities in responding to environmental concerns. As a product of these efforts and others, she was awarded the Kentucky Academy of Science Excellence in Science Education and Outreach Award in the fall of 2017. Well, take it away, Dr. Belinsky. Hi, my name is Dr. Kate Belinsky. I'm a professor of geoscience at Bellarmine University. And I want to talk to you today about how we manage our garbage on our planet Earth. The reason why I want to talk to you about this is because I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Uh, this semester I'm teaching a class called Environmental Geology. And the topic relates to how humans impact the Earth and how the Earth affects humanity. We look at a lot of different parts of Earth systems um, from how we manage risk with natural disasters and the kinds of infrastructure we put in to manage things like our waste and also looking at our energy and natural resources. But just this past week, I took my students to the landfill on a tour and we spent a lot of time last week in discussion about where our garbage goes, where our recycling goes and how that is affecting both the United States and other countries around the world and the people that handle it. 
I've been thinking about this a lot. I've also been reading a lot of stories lately in the news about some big changes in policy that are affecting the way that we handle our trash here in the United States. I want to start by kind of proposing something that might be kind of shocking to a lot of people. I don't think that recycling is the answer anymore. Um, there's been some really big changes recently about how recycling is done in the United States, and we're finding out that it's actually not being done very well anymore. And there may be some better ways to think about how we manage our consumption, our use of materials, and how we dispose of it. Before I get into that, though, I want to talk to you a little bit about some background of how we do manage our waste disposal in the United States. And when I say waste disposal, I'm talking about uh, the kinds of household and business waste that goes out to the curb or picked up from dumpsters. So I'm not talking about like sewage, that's a separate topic. So a little bit of history about how we manage waste in the United States. We really didn't manage it very well until um, maybe like the 1960s or 70s. In fact, actual sanitary, so-called sanitary landfills were not really developed until the 1930s and not widely adopted until much later. So I want to tell you a little bit about landfills to start with. The idea of a landfill is to have a place, a centralized location, where the disposal of waste can be handled in kind of a regulated, controlled environment. It's an alternative to disposing of waste on site or incinerating waste or dumping it somewhere in the environment where it can't really be controlled. The waste would be confined to the smallest area and volume possible so that you're being most efficient with it, controlled in that you are siphoning away any kind of liquid chemicals and treating them, um, and monitoring the landfill for any kind of leaks or pollutants. And then when the landfill has uh, been fully used, it's capped off and monitored for some length of time, usually 30 years, to try to minimize the risk to the environment. So it's a centralized, very controlled place to dispose of our waste. So that's how we handle most of our waste here in Louisville, Kentucky. There's a big landfill called the Outer Loop Landfill where our household and consumer waste goes. Landfills are very regulated. There are permits for how much of different kinds of materials can be released through water or air. Every um, acre of the landfill that is constructed has to be matched with a certain number of acres of wetland that's protected uh, somewhere in the region. We also control the amount of gases that are released from the landfills. And in fact, in many landfills now, methane that's produced from the breakdown of the waste is captured and used for energy, for bioenergy. Uh, so we're starting to be more and more efficient in how we are handling our waste from landfills. All right, so that's one waste stream that the United States uses in a lot of different areas for handling our waste. Recycling is another part of the picture, too. Recycling really wasn't a big part of the picture of our waste management until around the 1980s. Before the 1980s, most of the waste that was managed was through landfills, through incineration, and then there was some recycling and composting. And then the strategies of reducing and reusing waste were not as promoted as they might be today. But since 
there's been a sh kind of a shift in thinking about how we produce and manage our waste, there's been much more emphasis on recycling. Here are some recent statistics. Uh, in 2017, 73% of the United States population had access to curbside recycling. And then 94% of the United States has some access to recycling, but not all would be curbside. Now, access to recycling does not necessarily mean that everyone is doing the recycling, but it does signify that there is a, a good degree of saturation of recycling in the United States. Now, not every material gets recycled at the same rates. To give you an idea, the most recent data from the EPA indicates that about two-thirds of the paper that is disposed of is recycled, and uh, paper makes up about a quarter of our waste. About 5% of our food waste is composted. 61% of our yard waste is composted, but only about 9% of the plastics are recycled. And these are data back in 2015. So there's actually been a big shift in just the last year that I'm gonna talk about a little bit later about our recycling. Um, I can go on to, to report some other kinds of um, recycling statistics, but I think you get the idea that even though we know that these materials can be recycled, they're not really being recycled at the rates that you might think. Some other interesting stats, the amount of trash generated per person per day in the United States is around four and a half pounds. And that has been fairly stable since about 1990. So from 1960 to 1990, the amount of trash per person increased from around 2.7 pounds to about four and a half, and then it stabilized. But because the population is increasing in the United States, we see an overall increase in the amount of trash. We can also examine our recycling rates as well. So from 1960 to about the mid-1980s, the amount of recycled material ranged between 6 to 10%. And it climbed since then with the change in our policy of waste disposal uh, to around 35% being recycled today. But that increase that we've seen from the 1980s to today is starting to level out. We're starting to see kind of a saturation of what our recycling rates are revealing. That might be surprising to some people that we're not really recycling at the rates that we might hope for. What I think is most concerning today and why I want to talk about this um, on this program is that we're seeing some really alarming trends in just the last couple of years with how recycling is done in the United States. Recycling is really only sustainable here if it's done in a cost-effective way where the recycling companies and municipalities that are connected to them are not incurring huge costs. There's some kind of a economic benefit or at least kind of a cost-neutral strategy for recycling materials. Until very recently, much of the recycling that is collected in the United States was actually shipped outside of the United States for recycling, primarily to China. In fact, about 45% of the world's plastics that were set out for recycling were exported to China uh, since we started keeping track of this back in 1992. 
But in 2017, China passed a new policy which banned plastic waste from being imported into their country, and that's to protect the environment and the people there. So as you may know, China is a very polluted place. They had lots of chronic problems with air pollution, and the conditions in which recycling were being done were not really safe. And so this was a policy that was intended to protect the environment there. Now, the policy went into effect in January of 2018, and that has had a huge impact on the way that waste is being managed now in the United States. We no longer have this convenient location to just ship our garbage and export it into other countries, although that's starting to now shift to um, some countries that are willing to accept it. But in the meantime, we're starting to see that recycling facilities are not able to make ends meet anymore. They don't have this inexpensive, easy place to export the waste. And so now what are they doing? They are landfilling it, they are incinerating it. And so what we are actually setting out to the curb is not actually getting recycled. That's been the case for a while. Um, it's really hard to know exactly how much of what you're putting out to the curb is actually being recycled, but right now it's even less so. There have been some incredible journalism recently about this issue. For example, I read from The Inquirer, which is a newspaper in Philadelphia, that at least half of Philadelphia's recycling goes straight to incinerator. That's from a story that was updated in January 25th of 2019. And then there was a recent story in The Atlantic from March 5th of 2019 that goes into a lot of detail about what's happening to the recycling in the United States. A lot of the problem here is, is that it just costs a lot more money if we're not doing the exporting of waste. If we we're going to recycle in the United States, it just costs a lot of money to do it. You would have to hire a lot more people to sort the waste at a much higher um, quality. And then there isn't a tremendous amount of demand for these materials. It's just easier and less expensive to send it to a landfill or to incinerate it. So I think this is rather eye-opening for a lot of people. Uh, there's this idea that we're doing something for the planet by putting our recyclables in a bin and setting it out to the curb. But what happens to them afterward is not environmentally sustainable if it ever was, and it certainly is becoming less so now. So that brings us back to something I said earlier in this discussion about how I really don't think that recycling is the answer to how we should be moving towards a more sustainable society. I think since the 1980s when we changed our policy of our waste management and we started to increase recycling rates, there was a lot of public campaigns for doing this, a lot of consciousness raising about recycling. and. It certainly has infiltrated into our culture uh, to the point that whenever we're talking about environmental issues in maybe a social setting or in a classroom setting, recycling is usually the first thing that's brought up. But I would say that uh, recycling is really becoming kind of a distraction. It's like if you recycle, that sort of absolves you from doing anything more for the environment. Like you're um, labeling yourself as uh, green or sustainable if you're doing this recycling, ignoring the fact that the recycling is not actually happening. So what is the answer? What's the strategy here? The strategy I would say is to think about what you're bringing into your home 
in the first place or what you are consuming in the first place? Do you have something that is disposable, whether that means trash or recycling? Um, is there a way that you can reduce that? Is there a way that you can eliminate that? You may have heard the old saying, reduce, reuse, recycle, and it's meant to be in that order, that the most powerful thing that you can do is reduce the amount of waste that you're generating in the first place. And then if you do have something that you are using, to reuse it as much as possible, to extend the life of that product as much as you can. And then the last resort is to recycle. You know, you would hope that that product actually would get recycled. Now. In the Atlantic article that I mentioned a little while ago, they mentioned that the city of San Francisco is actually trying to get people to think about things in this way and actually adding another R word to this, which is refuse. So before you even reduce, reuse, and recycle, you actually want to think about, um, be much more conscious about what you are encountering um, and actually refuse products as much as possible. A great example of this that's uh, kind of hit social media this past year is the plastic straw. Now, you know, it's it's a very small thing. It's not going to have a huge impact compared to, let's say, what corporations are doing with the kinds of packaging that they're actually using. But it's just a good illustration that you can refuse the straw. You can refuse extra packaging. You can refuse to buy bananas that are wrapped in plastic bags. You know, these are examples of habit changing kinds of behavior that may actually have an influence on the way that we think about waste. It's going to take some time for these sorts of things to settle in, especially when the idea of recycling has been baked so thoroughly into our society. It's going to take some time for people to learn that recycling is not really being done to the extent that we think it is and to get people to care about this sort of thing. Now, another topic I want to talk about a little bit is another stream of waste called e-waste. This is electronic waste. Uh, this is the kind of waste that is composed of electronic gadgets, computers, televisions, any kind of uh, device that has an on and off switch. When they are disposed of, they have a different way of being handled. I want you to just think for a moment about the electronic devices that we have and when they really started to saturate our homes. It was around the same time that we had this big shift in our waste disposal in the 1980s. That's when people started to have a lot of personal computers, printers, fax machines, and other kinds of um, electronics. And it's really only accelerated since then. These products have very complicated materials inside. So not only do you have a lot of plastic in terms of like the outer casing of these devices, but then you have glass and you have all kinds of polymers and then plenty of different kinds of metal. Some of the metals are very valuable. Some of them are rare earth elements. Some of them um, require a lot of mining um, in very specialized locations uh, to extract these materials. So there is a lot of value that's in these products. It's just very difficult to extract because they are just so complex. So anyway, this electronic waste should be disposed of in particular locations. So there's usually disposal sites that'll take electronic waste. There may be even electronic waste drop-off days that you'll see pop up around the community. And the idea is that these materials will be 
centralized and taken to a place where the more valuable components can be taken out and then reused. So in theory, this sounds like a good idea. You'd be able to reuse the metals instead of having new virgin metals being mined out of the earth somewhere and sometimes in a very hazardous condition. The problem is that this follows the same pattern of recycling in other places uh, and with other materials. It's very expensive. It's not really being done in the United States. A lot of this waste is being exported. And when it is exported, if it's being processed, the workers there are not really being treated well. They don't have safety equipment. They don't have a lot of training. They're being exposed to really harsh chemicals and materials. So it's a very hazardous kind of endeavor. So both with recycling, like household recycling and e-waste recycling, I've mostly talked about the role of the consumer and how the trash that we generate is handled, but I want to talk for a moment about the corporate responsibility. Like where are these materials coming from in the first place? And what kinds of decisions and changes to corporate manufacturing can be made to reduce this problem? In fact, I think that this is really the question that we should be grappling with rather than thinking about, you know, whether you're going to use plastic straws in your drink. A company has a lot of choice about how they package materials, how they design materials, and the lifetime of those materials before they get to the end of their life cycle and then what happens to them. So to give you a good example with e-waste in particular, our personal computers are designed in a way where they go obsolete very quickly. You have you know circuit boards inside and all kinds of parts of a computer that are not necessarily designed to be modular. Uh, you can repair a computer, you can upgrade it, and you can make some changes to it. But after a while, they become outdated and slow, and there's very little that you can do to really keep it moving along um, in a way that makes sense for the use of that device. So it ends up being pitched. A cell phone is another good example. Like you can can't really do much with a personal cell phone when it becomes obsolete and so it tends to just be perhaps taken back to a company for recycling or taken to an e-recycler somewhere and disposed of with variable results. A better strategy would be to think about the manufacturing cycle to begin with. To think about how can you manufacture a cell phone to be, say, modular. Like when the battery starts to go, make it much easier to go and buy a battery that is compatible with these phones and replace it. Or when something breaks inside of a computer, you can just go and pick up that part and insert it in this place where it's supposed to be inserted and it'll just keep working for a lot longer. But we're not really designing our products this way. We're designing them to become obsolete. And in fact, in some cases, it's um, planned obsolescence where companies are actually designing products to become obsolete so that you go out and buy a new one after a few years instead of repairing the old one and extending its life. So we need to think more about the entire manufacturing cycle. So instead of thinking about products from cradle to grave where they're used for some period of time and then they eventually are just thrown away, we need to think about a more of a cradle to cradle cycle where something is made out of materials that can be more easily recycled and repurposed. In fact, they're designed to be recaptured at the end of its use and for its use along the way to be more easily repaired. 
There, of course, is a cultural aspect to this as well. In, at least in American culture, it's a, very, it's a very throwaway culture. So it's not just about electronics in terms of you know, making repairs to it and extending the life of these products. There's many things in our household that uh, sometimes it's just easier or less expensive to dispose of and buy something new uh, than to repair it. A great example I can give is that we have an old chair in our living room. It's like an old, I don't know, Nagahide chair or something. And it's something we really like. We have had it for a long time, but it's starting to come apart at the seams. And I looked into having it reupholstered, and it costs so much more to have that done than to go out and buy a comparable chair. So right now we're sort of limping along with um, replacement cushions and trying to extend the life of this thing. But we have this culture where it's just much easier to get rid of something and replace it with something new and shiny than to um, keep using the products that we already have in our household. And that's true for lots of things. I can think of examples of folks that have computers that may have gotten a virus on it or just become a little slow. And without a lot of technical know-how, it's just easier to go out and get a new computer instead of trying to do some kind of minor repair or um, change the software on it to make it last a bit longer. So. These are examples of where there's cultural forces at work. But I would say that the main responsibility and the main power in this entire picture falls on our companies and our government, which is not to say that individuals don't have a role to play because of course they do. People are running companies and can make choices about how they run their own companies. Economic stakeholders in these companies have a voice as well. And then of course with our government, we all have a voice in terms of what we can advocate for for the world that we want to see and the recycling rates that we want to see that are effective and how we want our money to be spent and what kind of an earth we want to live on in the future. So individuals do play a role, but we need to look at the more powerful structures and the entities that have the most influence over our planet. So I'll sign off there. Uh, there's a lot more to dig into in this, in this topic, but I think that uh, hopefully we'll give you a little bit of an update on what's happening to our garbage. Thanks to Dr. Kate Belinsky for updating us about these latest changes in the status of recycling in the United States and for the worthy advice on how we should respond, both in our attitudes and in our actions. So I think the bottom line is, don't just recycle, focus just as much on reduce and reuse and even refuse. This is important because not only does the garbage we throw away have to be put away somewhere, and that damages the environment, but all that plastic, glass, cardboard, and paper we throw away was produced using fossil fuels. Even biodegradable packaging requires fossil fuel to produce. Well, I take this as a personal challenge. So when I'm at the store shopping, should I buy it or should I not buy it? What do I tell the managers, the owners, the CEOs of companies that sell us all of this stuff that ends up in the trash? How do I tell companies that their wasteful marketing ploys might just backfire? This is truly a challenge to all of us, though, as consumers, as citizens, as activists, as taxpayers, as investors, maybe, and as voters. Well, that's the show this week. Thank you for listening to Bench Talk, The Week in Science. We think the world is a fascinating place, 
and science is a good way to explore it. Science truly empowers all of us. If you want to learn more about the show, go to our Facebook page. Just search for Bench Talk, two words on Facebook. You can also email us at benchtalkradio at gmail.com. That's one word, benchtalkradio at gmail.com. Now, all of our episodes are podcasted on SoundCloud, so just visit the station's website at www.forwardradio.org and scroll down to the program archives. That's www.forwardradio.org to listen to any of our old episodes. If you live outside of the Louisville broadcast area, you can still listen to us on live stream at that same website, www.forwardradio.org. This show is broadcast on WFMP LP 106.5 FM every Monday at 7.30 p.m. That's Eastern Time, 11.30 a.m. every Tuesday, and 7.30 a.m. every Wednesday. Thank you for listening to WFMP LP 106.5 FM, your grassroots, volunteer-run, listener-supported community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky where there is still a little room for evidence-based rational analysis. Thank you.